This podcast is brought to you by songfinch.com. Songfinch! They send you personalized songs from scratch, and they sound great. Way better than I do. They create an original song from your memories, experiences, and feelings that you can give as a unique gift, and they do it in just a week. It's a very easy process. You give them the memories, whatever you want them to put into the song. You select the mood that you want, and then the style or the genre. So you can pick from country, indie pop, folk, and even tell them if you want a male or a female vocalist. And then they create a song that conveys whatever you want to express. You receive the original song plus a homepage website where you can listen to it, read the lyrics, and learn more about the songwriter who created it. And of course, download it to have on your own computer. I love songfinch.com. This is our favorite sponsor because it's so original. Oftentimes, especially when my father was alive, it was hard for me to figure out what to get him as a gift because I felt like everything I got him, he would use sometimes, you know, and I didn't want to go for the socks or the, another tie or ugly sweater. You want it to be special and personalized, and they definitely do that. So you could send anyone you love a gift for a wedding, an anniversary, graduation, birthday, baby shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day. The list goes on and on, and it's a unique gift that guaranteed they'd never had before. A professional songwriter producing and singing a song personalized to your loved one. Well, and I really like the special touches that they included as well. Songfinch created a song for us at Coffee Clutch Crew, which was amazing. And when they sent it, in addition to the website, they actually mail you a greeting card that has your URL printed on the inside and a little message from whoever sent it to you. Not only that, but they are really dedicated to getting it right. If your song isn't more than what you expected, you can reach out to them at songfinch.com and they will make it right. They've been featured on USA Today, Forbes, CBS, and more. Go to their website, songfinch.com. They have plenty of real-world examples of people who have already taken advantage of this awesome opportunity. And you can listen to the song and you can hear the stories of why these people had these songs made. Here's an example. After three years of trying to give their first son a new little sibling, one man and his wife are now once again expecting parents. So he wanted to give her something that celebrated their new little miracle. And then you can hear the song. Oh, that's amazing. You had also said last time you thought this would be a great way to propose to somebody, and I agree. Yeah, you just sneak it in when you're driving with her, right? And it's on the radio, and you're like, let's listen to the radio. And you play your MP3, and there's a song asking your loved one to marry you. I mean, come on. Who's going to say no to that? So if you have a special occasion coming up or you just want to tell someone you love them in a unique way, definitely make sure to keep Song Finch in mind. If you go to their website you can use the promotional code CLATCHERS for $20 off your first song. Songfinch.com, promo code CLATCHERS, K-L-A-T-C-H-E-R-S, for $20 off. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clatch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we are reviewing episode 3.5, Kill Process. Inc. Elliot faces off with Mr. Robot. Dom gets tired of red tape and Tyrell has a new plan. IMDb gave this episode a 9.9. Woo! Way up there. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting to hear the feedback. A lot of people were a little bit down on episode 3.4. It wasn't their favorite, whereas they really, really liked this episode. I think it was kind of a one or the other. I didn't feel that the last episode was gimmicky. I liked that sensation of the one shot. I really enjoyed the commercial free. I thought the story they were telling was very interesting. I also really liked this episode, but it definitely was opposite to last week. There was a lot of quick cuts, a lot of back and forth between characters and locations. It had a different feeling to it. In episode 3.4, they used the long shot to kind of immerse us into the storyline and make us part of it. And that created the tension for us. In episode 3.5, they had three major storylines of people competing against time, I guess you would say. And they were cut through them so fast. To one storyline, the other storyline, and the, then the other storyline, which was just another tool to make us on edge. And I think they both worked very well. Yeah, each in their own way. And you'll know if you've listened to my thoughts on reviews before, this is just my personal opinion. I don't love the quick cuts back and forth. I do think it helps to create tension and escalate the plot forward. But at times, I think that it's used just to create confusion and try to throw you off the scent of where they're going. And that worked. It did happen to me, but I don't know if it's my favorite way of storytelling. No, it doesn't always work, but I think it worked in this episode, mainly because, again, it was, they were all going through their race against time. They were battling time. Elliot was battling Mr. Robot to get to a computer on time to stop phase two. Dom was battling, I guess you would say, the FBI to find Tyrell in time before phase two. Or Santiago. I'm still not sure how deep does this go. Is it the FBI in general or is it him who's keeping his affiliation with the Dark Army a secret? And that piece of the story I don't find super interesting, at least not yet. I know they're trying to make us care more about Santiago and what the backstory is there and Dom striking out against it. They haven't really hooked me with that yet, but I did really enjoy the stuff that was happening between Robot and Elliot, and I think it's stuff we were talking about a lot last episode, that this was escalating, and Elliot was learning to fight it more, to try to integrate these parts better into himself, and this was another showdown, much like in season two where we got the chess matches that resulted in pandemonium when they (laughs) finally showed down against one another, This was a different way of doing that with a lot more physicality involved. And we'll talk about that when we get to the scenes. In the end, they did wind up coming to a resolution. And I'm very interested for what that means in the future. Are we going to see more of Elliot and Mr. Robot communicating again like they used to in days past? Not just that. On the same side? I'm definitely interested in that. Sam Asmel has made it a point to give us different aspects of their relationship, right? We have season one where they are learning to communicate with each other. Elliot doesn't know he's real. They were very separated. Yeah. And then you have season two, where they are trying to outsmart each other, trying to see who can best the other one, and being very combatant at times. And then season three so far, it's been them saying, I can't deal with this person. I'm splitting it in half. I got my time. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'll give Elliot his time, and he can... Puts around, no matter what he does, we'll be able to get phase two out and vice versa. Which really caused a lot of greater problems. The fact that they were not in communication 
And I would be eager to see them kind of get back on the same page. But Esmail did say about season three that it's going to be about disintegration. So if that theme continues, I don't think we're going to forge that great relationship mm. that was perhaps foreshadowed at the end of the episode. But either way, watching the journey is really incredible. Let's take a minute to talk about the origin of our title, and we will go back to this more in episode. But kill process. In computing, kill is a command that is used in several popular operating systems to send signals to running processes in order to request termination. Basically, to stop it. You can run this command in a terminal, or you can use the graphical interface, like with Apple, for example, force quit is essentially sending a kill signal to whatever app you're trying to quit. And the extension .inc stands for include, a naming convention meaning the files are included in the scripts. It contains headers, functions, and other data referenced by a program source code. And then we had a few music notes, Real 10 by The Plugs, The Big Ship by Brian Eno, that played once Elliot stops the building from blowing up and he walks away. The Girl from Ipanema, and of course, Back in Time by Huey Lewis, which was written for Back to the Future and played on the TV in the opening scene. Memorable music. I love to talk about music in this TV show. I mean, all of our other podcasts, I don't think we really go into the music, but with Mr. Robot, it seems to resonate every we can't, episode. We can't stop ourselves. The placement is so beautiful. And even just the scoring, which we haven't gone back to a lot this season, we did talk about it in season two, but Matt Quill does a beautiful job in some of those quieter moments of setting the tone for oh. the scene. Oh my God, he does brilliantly. Now, before we get into the synopsis for 3.5, we did have a couple of notes on 3.4. We had done some questioning as to the numbers that were placed in last episode, and we couldn't understand why we were getting some of them, including Elliot's employee number. So Metal Monkey wrote in to tell us this was yet another reference to the Mandela effect. With that date having been reported somewhere and this is 7-23-91, as the date that Mandela died in prison. So this was a mistake, of course. He did not die in prison in reality, but that's part of the illustration of the Mandela effect that we've talked about a lot, where an alternate version starts to get spread around until people believe it. They actually believe that's what happened. This is one of the prime examples. So that date, really interesting. I didn't know that. I believe a few other Clatchers wrote into us with that information, so thank you very much. He also said, do you remember the sign behind the woman who maced the masked guy? It had a picture of ruby slippers on it, and it said there's no place like 127.0.0.1. I asked you, what does that mean? And he says it's an inside core joke, since it's a common home router IP address that means home. Ah, I like that. No place like home. Brilliant. Rebel Electric wrote to us on Twitter and said, I never thought Elliot was talking to the viewers since season one, episode one. I think most people are just so self-absorbed they believe he is. LOL. Obviously, I accept that I could be wrong, but haven't found evidence to justify it yet. So I'm reading this out loud because that's what we've been saying this whole time. He's talking to us and that's what we loved about the show. I see what she's saying, but I don't think it's being self-absorbed. I think that's the direction we're being given by Esmail, no, because every time he does it, Elliot, he looks at the screen right to us. So it feels like breaking the fourth wall and we have to think who else would he be talking to. Now, we have brought up some other possibilities. We haven't talked about it in a while. I know some fans had said, is it God, a higher power, which we discounted a while back because of his beliefs? Is it an imaginary friend, as Mr. Robot says sometimes? 
Is it another aspect of his personality? And again, we kind of put that aside because there was no more evidence as time went on that there would be other altars, such as Tyrell maybe being another altar of Elliot. It seems like it's just him and Mr. Robot. So I think the most likely conclusion that we came to is it's some form of conscience, a place where Elliot tried to get answers and solace for a while, and when that wasn't working psychologically, he was forced into more extreme measures, such as splitting off and creating an altar like Mr. Robot. But that's just a guess. I mean, there could definitely be something else going on here, especially if you wanted to get into the sci-fi territory of who he could be talking to. And speaking of sci-fi theories, I know we haven't talked about it in a while, and it does rub some people the wrong way, but I feel like it is definitely the time to come back to it this episode. Put on your tinfoil hats. So let's get ready. We'll make some allusions here, and then we'll get into theories more at the end when we talk Clatcher's comments. But the episode opens on a flashback of a farewell party to celebrate a terminally ill Emily Moss. And the very first thing we see is a TV playing with Back to the Future on it. For goodness sake, the amount of times we've gotten Back to the Future references, we should have been keeping a tally. But if not, to signal something going on. (laughs) Time travel, parallel universes, whatever it might be, why all of these references? At this point, wouldn't it be a bit extreme if it's just Esmail playing with us? Yeah, I think it's definitely got to mean something. But that does bring this thought to mind about Sam Esmail. I love that he's not afraid to put his personal spin on everything. He puts into the storyline everything he loved about growing up. And it just so happens it's everything we loved growing up. The 90s references, ALF, Back to the Future. And then he even goes political. He hates Trump. He has no worries about that. I feel like I know Sam Esmail just from his tweets and watching his show. Back to the Future never gets old to me. Listen, we have three Back to the Futures, and all three are the same story, just set in a different setting. And I still got to watch all three. I definitely agree with you, but there's so many iconic TV shows, movies from the 80s, 90s time frame that you can pull from if you just wanted to create that nostalgia. And the fact that he keeps going back to the same one, and it's a time travel story. And then we get this line from Mr. Robot as he's talking to a younger Angela. And he tells her about the enchantment under the sea dance in the first Back to the Future movie, where Marty had to push his dad to ask Lorraine to be his date. He says if George didn't overcome his fear, they would have never gotten married and Marty would have never been born. And he would have disappeared from that photograph. Why tell that story? It's almost an allusion to how our linear reality works. One tiny little event, one little decision has ripples that change the course of the future. If you could go back to that moment and change it, you might alter the way things wind up 20 years down the line in a really extreme fashion to the point that this person might not exist. Butterfly effect. And that made me think about the photo that Darlene carries around that's so important to her. Oh my goodness. That she left for Elliot. And in this sci-fi universe, might we not see something change and then you go back to this photo and somebody's not there anymore. Is this why Elliot doesn't remember Darlene sometimes? There's so many thoughts flying around in my head when he talks about that. I love that you bring it to that reference because we were talking about the fact that they made reference to that photo many times in two episodes. And then Darlene finally brings it back to his apartment and puts it away. And I kept thinking there's something to do with that photo. What does it mean? And you might be right. 
Now, again, it might not ever go back to that photo itself, but the reference to it is brilliant. I love it. It's just too much to not (laughs) add up to something in the end. And there's going to be more, so get ready. We're not done talking about it. But, of course, there is also a solid reason why Mr. Robot is bringing this up. He asks if somewhere down the road... Angela, somewhere down the road, if Elliot needs some help and... See, I can't be there for him. Just give him a little push too, okay? Much like the character in the movie did. And that really resonates throughout this episode. You wonder if that's what Angela's been trying to do this entire time, especially in the scene coming up where she pretty much mimics that by saying this was all Elliot's vision and he just needs the courage to see it through. Mm. As though that is her giving him the push and thinking she knows what's best for him. Although I still don't have a lot of empathy for Angela in this episode. I guess we'll get to that. I I feel like the flashback was supposed to do that for us. Yeah. To make us feel for her. That and I guess to bring some insight into why she's acting this way this season. For a second there, when it went to that next scene, and we'll get to that, the look on her face, I was like, all right. Okay, maybe I can see from her angle. But then as soon as she started talking, I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) It's not (laughs) working. It wasn't enough for me. (laughs) Well, and this whole scene is very strange, right? It makes you uncomfortable just watching it. They're having this farewell party. There's a cake that says, see you in another life. Again, all of these references kind of jumbled in there. There was an important moment where Emily is taken aside by their lawyer, and Tara, who we remember from Angela going to talk to her last season. And Emily tells her she's decided not to have any more treatments, despite the fact that there's an anonymous benefactor offering to pay for them. Yeah. So a lot of people have brought up, was this benefactor White Rose, and was she behind this from all the way back then? Nope. You want to know what I think? Yeah. I think this ties into our question, why does Price care so much about Angela? I think it was Price. And I don't think it answers it yet, but I think this is the step, first step to finding out why Price cared so much about Angela. Or maybe he didn't care and was just trying to get rid of her. That would make total sense. Avoid the lawsuit, avoid ugly questions about what was going on there by paying them off. No, he wasn't trying to pay them off. He was trying to pay for the medical bills. Right, of course. But if he does this and he keeps them happy, then maybe they don't go to court looking for that lawsuit and the settlement money. He, it's, it's hush money, basically, to keep them quiet. I would agree with you if they weren't the only ones suing. She was getting the anonymous benefactor, but there was many people in this lawsuit that were sick. Yeah, and maybe some of them were paid off. How do we know, right? Perhaps, but remember when White Rose two episodes ago, I'm sorry, Minister Zhang... I'm going to try to separate them now because we've been getting a lot of Minister Zhang. That's another conversation. Yeah, we got to get to that. Minister Zhang, remember when he was talking to Price right before he made the decision that we're going with stage two no matter what? He had threatened Price with Angela and Price was really taken aback, taken aback by that. And it looked on his face like he cared for her or there was something more to that relationship. And we'd even said it last season. He's really opening up to this woman and we don't understand why. Yeah, people have said cared for a lot, but I've always wondered, is there the possibility that he thinks he can use her somehow, some way? And the caring is really a personal investment that he has. And if there's 
secrets that he needs to cover up, or maybe she's still critical to part of his plan that we don't understand. I mean, White Rose is trying to use her as a pawn. It's entirely possible that Price could be trying to use her as a pawn for some reason too. And if that pawn is important, you're going to go to great lengths to protect them. Why are you shitting on my theory? Hey, listen, I have a good theory here. You could be right. (laughs) I just, I need the connection there for people that are saying that as to why. Why would Price care about her? We still don't know yet. Right. But I think it was Price. I agree with you on that point. I really like the price paying for the the treatments and being the benefactor. I think you're right about that. There was also one more very strange thing in the scene. When Angela does finally go talk to her mother, Emily tries to console her by telling her, this isn't the end. There's another world out there for both of us and we'll see each other again. Will you believe with me? Now, the way I read it, the mother wasn't saying anything more and let's just say a conversation you might have with a child if you know you're about to die and you're trying to hold on to that hope. Mm. There's something better. Maybe there's a heaven out there. I want you to believe in that. So could it be all these years later? There's not some big other thing going on. It's just that's been so engraved into Angela's brain. She has to believe there is the possibility for that. We're all going to go to another world. Dying is not really dying. Hmm. And that's what she's talking about when she brings that up in this episode. Maybe because we do see the lasting effect of what Elliot's father said to her. So that night or that day might have had a big impact on her in her adult life. And if that is the case, it changes the way I think about Angela in this episode because I think she's cracking up Mm. big time if that's what's going on. She's losing it. Perhaps. After this, she's going to lose it when she realizes she helped kill thousands, tens and thousands of people. Absolutely. That's going to have a major impact on all of our characters moving forward. And I don't think anything's going to be the same after this event. So before we move on from this scene... I really liked how they opened this up because they left us with a little bit of a hanger last episode when Elliot runs into Angela after the intense episode in the E-Corp building. And instead of opening up to that scene, they open up to this past scene and they give us the opening title sequence right away. That's the first time in a long time we didn't get a cold open. That's true. Especially this season, we've had like five minute long cold opens, which is great. So right away, the feel of this episode was different. And then the fact that it was a party, but it didn't look like a party. It was somber. And then it unfolded slowly that it was kind of like a life celebration, I guess you could say. And then I got to say, I don't get enough. And and I realized this last episode when we got Christian Slater with Rami Malek in the elevator. And now again, when we got Christian Slater as his normal father self, we don't get enough of him. I miss Christian Slater. I miss his acting. I love his acting, especially in this movie. We said that all season one. TV show, sorry. We said that all season one too, right? Is this all we're going to get of him? Where's Christian Slater? But I think because we're always supposed to be seeing the story from Elliot's point of view, even when he's there, we don't always actually see him Mm -hmm. as Christian Slater. But yes, his performances are brilliant and everybody really acted the shit out of this Mm. episode. But as you mentioned, they transitioned really great from the flashback to the moment where Angela is confronted by Elliot after the riot, and it seems she was thinking back to that time in her childhood and how this is affecting her even today. And Elliot really pushes her 
I was happy to see that he put it to her. He wants to know how she can be okay with blowing up a building and can't believe she's been manipulating him this whole time. She tries to tell him this needs to happen because White Rose's work will make everything better. She will save the world. I need to stop this. Today's work, what White Rose is doing, is going to change everything for the better. You met White Rose? What the fuck is happening? She's going to save the world, but we need to let her. Save the world? Angela, whatever White Rose told you is a lie. She's a fucking terrorist. And if you let this happen... And we're going to look back and see that these consequences were necessary. People are going to die! No, they're going to be fine! Including your father and my mother. What the fuck are you talking about? You're not making any sense. I don't know how much of this is in Angela's head if White Rose said the right things and pushed the right buttons, which were already a trigger for Angela, so she was happy to believe that and easily brainwashed, or if there really is a lot more going on there as we suspected that we haven't yet seen. But Elliot hasn't seen any of that, and he's not buying it. He didn't even know they had met before, so he was shocked to hear about that. And you could see the look on his face. He's thinking the same thing. You're cracked up. Yeah. And when he finally pushes her far enough, we see that Angela reaction where she steps away from him and just retreats into herself, going into that power saver mode. Yeah, being a robot again. And then we get that great music. When Elliot asked, who did you give it to? I said audibly, elevator guy. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's not going to say that. She doesn't know him as the elevator guy. Do we know what was in that bag yet? We still don't, and we had to believe it was big based on Angela's reaction. When I wonder she if it was it. just more burgers, and he just handed it to her, and she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> she was terrified. She looked like she was going to cry, freak out. We have to come back to that at some point. But in this moment, she wouldn't give up Tyrell's location to him, and she didn't have to. When Elliot saw the red wheelbarrow bag on the desk, he put it together. He said the infamous quote, so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. Mm. And I know they've used that in a metaphorical way that it was big for Tyrell previously, but I think it's going to continue to have ongoing meaning, why that place is named that, why it's so central to our storyline. And I think this is the type of thing that every season these lines could come up and they mean something different to us. And, and that will continue to happen down the road. So then we move over to after texting Darlene Tyrell's address, Elliot calls her to try to get the FBI there to stop him. You know, he tells her, you got to send them. We know where he is. And this is when Dom tracks Tyrell's location to the red wheelbarrow. And she tries to go to Santiago with the plan. But he's being weird again, of course. He tells her their informant is unreliable and they need visual confirmation first. He's clearly stalling. Are you surprised that Dom... Is not picking up? Either she's not picking up or she's not prying more into this, why he's acting so strangely. Well, now that we know what Santiago's deal is, it's so obvious to us. And I'm sure that Esmel is making it more obvious to us. And I'm sure it wasn't that obvious before. If we watched season two, we wouldn't pick it up. But I think also he did back it up with reasoning and he did hold his composure. And it was kind of the political reasoning that bosses normally have, especially in TV shows. I was going to say especially in the FBI, but I'm going off of TV shows. Like I don't have a knowledge, but 
especially the way they depict it in TV shows, the boss is always thinking about the bigger picture, the how much it's going to cost if we go green right now and, and send everyone out. And what if we miss them and tip someone else off, mm-hmm. you know, so all that stuff. So maybe he's still able to hide most of that behind that facade. Or even if she knows, maybe she just understands it's futile to try to fight him. And that's why she decides to go her own way yep. later on. But we do see as soon as she leaves, he texts for lunch. <laughs> he texts Irving and says, location burnt need to take care of Wellick. And of course, from this point until later on in the episode, I think most of us assumed that meant Tyrell was about to die. Mm. Also on the TV in the background, we see UN vote passes, U.S. abstains, paving way for controversial resolution to pass. And this really confused me. In the last episode, we had a lot of cuts to the TV screen talking about the UN vote. And one of them was saying that the major superpowers have to be in unanimous agreement in order for this bill to pass, for China to annex the Congo. And the U.S. was one of those. So by the end of last episode, when it passed, we assumed that they all had to vote yes. And this is part of what Price and Minister Zhang were working on. And yet this one is saying the U.S. is abstaining. So I'm kind of confused about how it did, in fact, go through. Yeah, so our ignorance in politics is going to ring very true here, and we might get yelled at via Twitter or email. But I'm thinking abstaining is not the same as far as voting in this circumstance as a no. Mm-hmm. So they're not saying yes, but they're not saying no. So that equals out as um, if all the other superpowers say yes, it's fine. Yeah, like they're saying controversial resolution. It's yeah. still going to work, but it's like... Eh. The U.S. is saying like, we're not saying yes because if this shit fucks up, <laughs> we're going to say, hey, man, we abstained. We didn't say shit. Well, you would <laughs> think, though, that that would impact when Minister Zhang and Price have their little conversation, but they seem to be celebrating. Everything is good, so... I think Minister Zhang knew that they would abstain. Like, that was the deal. Mm, That's how they got him to go along with it, maybe. Yeah. And we do get some really interesting Mm -hmm. interactions. I love when we see the two of these guys on screen. It does not happen enough. We get it here where they go to the Mar-a-Lago club, and they are drinking to the passing of the vote. And Price tells him he now expects China to sign the economic accord, like they agreed. And Jiang smugly agrees Mm -hmm. (laughs) and says, it's going to be done, don't worry. They have this weird interaction. They're kind of having friendly banter, but then it descends into very awkward silence. It disintegrates quick. It's because I don't think they know how to BS. They don't know how to small talk. If they're not talking about how to gain more power or screw someone over, really, they don't, I don't think they would be someone to hang, fun to hang out with. They hate know? each other, it seems like, underneath all of that. But they know that they're both powerful and they need to work together. But you always get this feeling that Minister Zhang has so many more cards under the table and is very confident. Mm. He's the one in control of the situation, manipulating Price. Yeah, it reminds me of like when we would see Obama shaking hands with a bush. And they're smiling and I'm like, I don't think they like each other, but they're playing it <laughs> off pretty well. <laughs> I also want to talk about this club, the background of it, which is pretty cool. I didn't know where it was, and maybe that's bad or ignorant, but I looked it up, and it's considered one of the world's most exclusive clubs. It's located in Palm Beach. What I thought you would find interesting about this, Jason, it was a National Historic Landmark that was a former estate of Marjorie Merriweather Post. Oh, snap. Same place where we got LIU Post, where we both went to school. 
but Trump purchased it from the Post Foundation in 1985. He lived there as his own personal residence, or at least one of them, for about 10 years until he opened it up as a club. Wow. So they were giving the finger to Trump while in Trump's club. Exactly. So that's a double meaning I didn't know when I was watching the show, but is way more fun, one of those Easter eggs afterwards. I love that. And maybe a lot of you guys knew that, but <laughs> I had to put it out there. And then after the weird interaction ends between the two of them, Zhang gets the call that Wellick's location was compromised, and he says, you know what to do. So all of these references to, we know what's going to happen to Tyrell, this is what they have to do to Wellick. The next scene, as the Dark Army moves out, Tyrell is wondering why they aren't staying to monitor the fallout and where his family is. And as viewers, we must all be going, this is the time. Yep. He's about to get it from Irving. Irving even apologizes to him, and yet it doesn't happen. He gives him this letter, tells him to follow the instructions, and then burn it. And even Tyrell looks shocked that he's not killing him. Yeah, so this is something that I'm going to give a guess on. Please do. What is on that envelope? I believe that envelope told him to start a fire, cuff himself to the bed, because there was cuffs there when Dom looks, and let himself die and burn down the building. Mm-hmm. It's a big leap. Uh, I think he was going to do it. it was, he was being very ceremonial when he was burning. Yes. And he took off his tie, but then I think he, last minute, booked it out out, and then we see him later on in the episode in front of e-corp yelling stop the attack people are going to die so maybe he just didn't follow through on that i wonder yeah i had that as a question for later on in our our top questions coming out of the episode what was in the note so i could have seen that going two ways they give him instructions they continue to need him as a pawn and for whatever reason they tell him To do what he just did. To set off this trail for Dom to follow, but then get out of there so she doesn't actually catch him, and then go to the FBI. But I can't imagine why they would want him to report this to the FBI. That's where I'm getting stuck on that point. Well, my other theory is just that, that they even told him to go to E-Corp because they knew that one was going to be compromised because White Rose was playing Elliot and knew Elliot wouldn't pull through on this one. That's Mm -hmm. why he wasn't in know of the other buildings. And now that Tyrell is going to be captured... He's e- the fall guy? E-Corp will be able to use him as a fall guy, saying that F-Society did it. Which, again, would make total sense, but why would Tyrell agree to be the fall guy? After everything they've done to him, he was even complaining to Irving. He's going to find out his family is dead. Mm. Maybe he already did. Uh, there's probably a picture of his child there in that envelope, too. Oh, it's hostage. Mm. Hostage or, you know... A, a threat. Uh, yeah. That that could make sense, definitely. Because I did think about that, and then I went to, oh, this isn't really adding up, so I think he was meant to be killed and escaped and got out of there and panicked and didn't know what else to do, so he went to the FBI. At this point, I could see either option being likely. Yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, the more confused I get myself because, <laughs> well, one, Irving couldn't shoot him there. Everyone would hear him. So I don't think they wanted him to shoot him. Uh, but starting a fire with an envelope to burn the place? It's no, not exactly that foolproof. No, it's not even close to foolproof. It's silly. It looks like a fake yeah. with the handcuffs there. Um, 
Definitely. I don't know. This is Asmael. When you when you think back on the episode later, there are going to be tons of questions, such as, did they always intend to blow up multiple locations? Did they know Elliot was going to mess with it? Was it only supposed to be New York? But then because Elliot did dabble, this is what ended up bringing them to attacking 71 locations, which yeah. is really dark and is definitely Elliot's feeling by the end of the episode that he caused all of this. But then did Tyrell know that? It keeps spiraling out, and I don't think we're going to have those answers for a while, and that's what makes this show so interesting, and I think why they were able to put a finale-type episode midway into the season. Most shows wouldn't be able to get away with doing this, because now what? Mm -hmm. But with Mr. Robot, there's still so much left to unpack that four more episodes doesn't seem like nearly enough to get it done. So here's where we break for a second. There was a few commercials spread throughout, but we can just talk about them all right now. They had one for the new Firefox. Yeah, this was funny because we saw it on Twitter first. The, the official Mr. Robot tweeted the Firefox commercial, and I thought it was pretty genius because it shows like everything that this show was making us scared of. They're saying Firefox doesn't do that. It doesn't take your metadata. But... What's crazy is we have to remember that Firefox paid for this. Hmm. It's just a commercial. And the reality is Firefox a few months ago was written about because that's exactly what they were doing. <laughs> that's what all the browsers are doing. It, it's the only way for them to make money. Yeah. And I mean, that's as far as I want to go because we could go talk for hours about that. And it's pretty scary, but I can talk for hours about it. And then when we finish recording... We'll I'll go on my books. iPad and then start <laughs> browsing the web. So I don't know. We're kind of stuck there. But I thought it was cute. It was funny. It was smart. Last year, there was this commercial that kept coming on that had nothing to do with Mr. Robot, but they were playing off of the Mr. Robot. And it was about network security and paying for that. So it's smart to do those types of commercials. Yeah, well, and then they also have the fun ones. So they did the one for Red Wheelbarrow, which I loved. It took me half a second, and I got to be honest with you, I was like, ooh, I could eat that. <laughs> and I thought in my head subconsciously, like, Red Robin because of the red. And then I was like, oh, shit, it's a Red Wheelbarrow commercial. It was perfect. Well, not only that, the eCoin perk that they put out last week which we've spoken about a lot. We were so bummed that we haven't been able to get any of them yet, the Funko Pop figures. This time it was Red Wheelbarrow barbecue sauce. And of course, we're not going to get that either. But it looked good. Okay, let's be honest. Christina was mad at me. She yelled at me. So I'm in charge on making sure whenever it's emailed to us, I go on there. And this week, I <laughs> nonchalantly, she was like, did you try to get this? And I was like, no, nah, I thought it was just barbecue sauce, so I didn't even bother. And she was like, what? Come on. <laughs> you click on them immediately every time we got them. So when I got it, I said, well, there's no point. Jason's going to do it anyway. And then I was so angry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of commercials, let's give you guys one commercial for us. A couple things you could do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Just give us a rating. It takes two seconds. Write a review. Just say, like, these guys are awesome. It only helps us to get more listeners. And the more listeners, the more likely we can get ad revenue. And when that happens, maybe we can quit one of our jobs and do two shows at once. And we can continue to give you guys more and more content. That's our goal. And hopefully that'll be your goal. Or just to continue to cover the shows that you want to see. It's always a really hard decision of which shows we're going to pick for our free coverage. And Mr. Robot has been one of our first. 
and one that is very dear to our hearts, but the enthusiasm and support for it in podcasting seems to be waning this season for some reason, even though I think season three has really come back with a bang for them. I had some reservations about season two, but I am all in again after this. If you agree and you're feeling the same way, definitely please continue to support that so that we know what to do when it comes to season four. Here's an example of what we would love to do. We had a lot of Clatchers ask us, why aren't you doing Stranger Things? It's the best show ever. We would love to do Stranger Things while doing Mr. Robot, but we can't because we have so many other jobs outside of the podcast. If we could relinquish ourselves from those responsibilities, make a little bit money on this, we could do two shows at once and you would be getting Stranger Things this week as well. But of course, if you do want more content, there is always Patreon. We have our membership-exclusive extra content over there, which includes three different tiers. On the first one, you can get access to our chat boards and 10% off all the Clatcher gear. For the second tier, you get bonus podcasts each month. And for the third tier, you get a bonus movie review each month. And of course, with each tier up, you also get all the benefits from the tier below it as well. And as an incentive to whet your appetite, this month we're going to be reviewing Murder on the Orient Express. It's hard to explain in a 10-second or 30-second commercial during a podcast how awesome the Patreon podcast is. Our bonus episodes are so fun. We talk about so many things and we just relax and we're more laid back because we're not reviewing a show. We don't have to make sure we're right on everything. It's really fun. The Clatchers get really involved. They vote on a lot of things. It's something that I think you would enjoy being a part of. Give it a try one month. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on the Patreon link. It'll send you right to that page and sign up. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll enjoy it. We have well over 24 hours of content there for you. Coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon. So let's get back into the synopsis. We were talking about Santiago earlier, and we do get this brief kind of bizarre scene with him where he calls his mother and tells her to stay inside for the rest of the day. While he's doing so, he's looking at a snow globe that says, I love New York. Do you think he's reflecting on what's to come with this dark army mission they're about to pull off? Yeah, the frame did hold on that. And I was like, what does that mean? What is he saying? What is he thinking? And yeah, I think it's his love for New York and and shit's about to hit the fan. It just has a lot to do with what's going on in his mind right now. I'm sure he has a lot of reservations I don't know why he's helping. Maybe they have something on him and they're blackmailing him or maybe he's really part of the cause. We really don't know at this point. Yeah, and we haven't gotten much background into him and we really won't hear. They cut right back over to Dom next, who is deciding to take her own action and convinces Norm to come with her to the red wheelbarrow. There's no sign of Tyrell, but she sees smoke coming from the back room where she goes to investigate. And she finds a fake door in the back brick wall that leads to this secret room where Tyrell's been hiding out, but he's gone by this point. So Santiago comes and chastises her again for breaking orders, but agrees that it was a win because Tyrell definitely was there. And then, of course, he orders her to go back to the office and stay out of things as usual. This is a fuse when it comes to Dom that I think is burning, and it's burning short. She's about to blow And I don't mean like freak out or go crazy. I mean, she's about to put it in her own hands and she's going to figure something out soon. Well, we wondered when she might go rogue and take things into her own hands. And this was the first sign after a lot of cracks in her facade of her actually doing that, you know, by taking Norm and going there on her own to to look into things. 
I think that what's really going to set that off is the relationship with Darlene that they've been building up all season. This informant is unreliable, and Dom herself knows that Darlene has been keeping things from her. And I think that she's overextended herself by putting her trust in her, at least with the FBI. This is sort of her CHS. So that's exactly what happens. Darlene calls Dom, wanting to know what's going on, but Dom won't tell her, saying she knows she's still hiding information, and basically that's it for now. One, I was thinking, Dom is so good because she's really good at manipulating I think if I was Darlene at that point, I would have called her back and told her what she wanted to know. Just the way she did it made her feel like, you're lost without me. You better tell me. Mm-hmm. What's great about this scene is Darlene is in, I think, her apartment. And there's a puzzle on that table. Yeah. And I did look at that puzzle. Our Patreon clatchers know that Christina loves her puzzles. She's a big <laughs> nerd. A little fun fact. Carly Chaikin tweeted during this episode... And she wrote, fun fact, this is actually my puzzle in real life. (laughs) And she has a picture of that puzzle. So that's pretty cool. They used her puzzle there. And she's into puzzles, which means she's just like you. And what's really cool is that our Clatchers right now are on Twitter, and they are all tweeting to Carly Chaikin saying that they want her on our podcast. Now, we have had actors on our podcast before. We had Arjun Gupta from The Magicians. And the only reason why he came on is because our Clatchers were persistent and they tweeted to him and let him know that we are a real podcast and we have real listeners. So we need your help here. Get on Twitter, find our tweet or just tweet at her. Tell her at CKC podcast is the place you need to be. Ask her to join us for an interview. I really think she'll enjoy it. We have so many great questions to ask her and I think you guys will love it as well. And one more thing, Chris. Speaking of interviews, we have an interview coming out later this week, and I think we're going to release it on all of our channels. It's an interview with Aaron Campbell, who's the executive producer for Turbine Inc. And Turbine just released an official Game of Thrones mobile app game, and we had a great conversation with him. We sat down with him for about an hour. We picked his brain about Game of Thrones, about the video game. We had so much fun, so keep an eye out for that as well. That game is called Game of Thrones Conquest, if you want to go look for it on your iPad, your phone, whatever mobile device you're using. We've been playing it. It's really addicting. Coming back to the scene, at the end of this, there was a weird moment when Darlene goes to leave the apartment and there's Girl Scouts there. (laughs) I mean, it was kind of bizarre because we're seeing the end of the world type scenarios. Okay, not the end of the world, but society has fallen apart and nothing is functioning as it used to, and yet here's the typical Girl Scouts showing up at your door. Well, I'm wondering if everyone still has that issue that they had last season where they could only get so much money from the ATM. I'm assuming that's still going on. I think it was a $50 allowance that they can get. So if you're on a $50 allowance, the last thing you're going to do is buy expensive Girl Scout cookies. Exactly. So weird. (laughs) I think for Sam Esmail, it wasn't about the Girl Scout cookies. I think it was kind of to throw what life used to be in your face, especially in a high intense moment with what Darlene's going through. She opens the door and there they are. Hi. Yeah. And I listened to an interview with Cora Donna on another podcast where he was talking about putting some levity into the episode and also that those two girls always remind him of The Shining. (laughs) It kind of did feel that way. But anyhow, now we get into what I really want to talk about, which we've kind of lumped up into one area of the synopsis, and that's what's been going on with Elliot. 
after leaving E-Corp, Elliot realizes his fastest way of connecting to the UPSs is to go to the recovery building himself. He says, kill process. When an unwanted process is running and you need to terminate it, I need to stop stage two before it kills anyone else. But of course, once he gets there, the police are already leaving and letting employees back in the building, having determined it was a false alarm. Did you catch that the fireman was going to direct everyone to come back in and then he saw two beautiful women and he was like, oh, hey, what's up? No. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. (laughs) That's funny, but we mentioned that this was likely to happen last episode, right? We thought they might not believe him. They actually did, but when they went to look, there's nothing for them to find. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Elliot realizes. That's why this isn't going to work. So he has to gain access himself, and he does that by stealing a security ID. And he goes to a conference room where he starts trying to get in to overwrite the malware and get back the stolen keys. I was right. Angela helped them get around my patch and sign their own malware with a cloned HSM. If I can roll it back, the clean version will overwrite Terrell and Mr. Robot's malware and buy me some time to revoke the stolen keys. A couple of minutes and we'll be. But every time he does so, Mr. Robot thwarts him. And we get this really amazing ongoing sequence between the two of them just going back and forth and canceling each other out. Every time one does something, the other one undoes it. We get these screen scrambles. There's even a point where Elliot's coat changes. That was so cool. To the Mr. Robot coat. It starts out with him losing bigger chunks of time at first 15 minutes where he comes to in this cab and he has to jump out and run back to the building to go undo all of this. He doesn't know how much time he has. That's really the issue. He says the building could blow in two hours or any second. It just depends how long it takes that hydrogen to build up. Which adds to the intensity. This whole cat and mouse game that's going on, I found it intriguing because it adds another level to Elliot and Mr. Robot's relationship. It's coming to a forefront, and now they're physically fighting each other. I find it so interesting that Sam Esmail was able to do it without it looking corny. Because, come on, let's be honest, this could have been a silly, corny moment. Well, and I do have to say, at the point where he's trying to get down the hallway in a little bit, and he's throwing himself against walls, the first thing I thought of was, liar, liar. Oh, yeah. I'm kicking my ass, do you mind? (laughs) I'm kicking my own ass! (laughs) But I think there was meant to be a little bit of dark comedy in that combined with the intense seriousness of what they're actually trying to do. Both of them still aren't realizing that this isn't getting them anywhere. Elliot says, if he has the power to switch, does that mean I do? Is it a matter of who wants it the most? I agree. This is fucking confusing. So he's still working against him. But at some point, he does realize instead of fighting, what he needs to do is try to talk to him. So he starts typing this note that they aren't murderers and people don't need to die. Mr. Robot isn't listening at first. So Elliot determines he has to get to the battery room himself to physically prevent it from blowing up. And that's when we are going to move into that hallway scene. But we have to break for just a second because we did get some important scenes between that. The first one of which is Angela on the subway. While she's riding, a man in an F-Society mask pulls a gun on two old ladies and then demands Angela's purse, but she doesn't give it to him. 
So right away we saw this man in the mask. He was very fidgety. His his knee, his leg was going, his hands were going. I was like, this guy's up to no good. Keeps looking around. Angela's in this dead state. And here's a lesson, everybody. If we're on the train, keep an eye out for posters. The signs behind her. I know I saw them. Because this episode, we had a new poster, and it was a poster for Repulsion, a new play based on Roman Polanski's film. I thought that was just supposed to indicate deep down how she's feeling about herself, that she is... Repulsed? Yeah, to Mm. a certain extent with the things that she's doing, and yet her belief is so strong that when the woman asked her why she did that, why didn't she just give it to them, she says, no one's going to die really monotone like that's just so ingrained in her she can't help but think anything else and i i believe by the end of the episode that's only going to get more extreme what choice is she left with but to cling to that ideal that belief yeah i think at that point that's all you have right hope belief there was also another one that said we'll help see you through the storm was that an e-corp one i didn't see what was above it most likely right or e-coin yeah could be Except for when you sign in, they're going to say, out of stock. (laughs) It moves from that to Darlene going to confront Angela for betraying them. And I kind of wished there was more to this scene because their interaction was really intense. Darlene telling her she knows that Angela has been manipulating Elliot. But we really don't get to hear Angela try to justify that Mm -hmm. or tell her what she thinks about it because... Their phones both go off simultaneously, and then the screen shorts out. So cool. It was very cool, but it made me think back to a lot of old theories about the relationship between Angela and Darlene, and if there is sci-fi stuff going on, does it possibly extend to Angela, who is doing some very bizarre robotic-like things in this episode? And now you get the screen shorting out much the way it does when we have something going on between Elliot and Mr. Robot. It was just an interesting choice of visual cues to put to that interaction. I thought it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then we also get the scene at the FBI plaza outside that office where Tyrell runs up, as we said before, to the crowd of agents yelling that they need to stop the attack. And he's handcuffed and taken away before Dom can get any answers. So do you think she might go and try to interrogate Tyrell on her own while she's off kind of going rogue? She knows he knows some stuff. I think you might be right. And she's been hunting for him all season. Let's be real here. Esmel has been slowly cooking Dom's storyline, and I think it's about to bubble over. He's too big of a fish. I know she's been taking these orders from Santiago all season, but I don't think she's just going to roll over and let him have this one. She worked so hard to get him, and now he's just turned himself over to them. Now, I don't think anything that comes out of his mouth is going to be reliable. I mean, Tyrell is really dedicated to the cause. Unless one of those two options we speculated on is true, and he's finally lost it with the Dark Army and is just ready to confess everything. If he found out what happened to his family and this pushed him over the edge, I mean, it could be. Yeah, it depends on what was in that letter. If it was that he was supposed to do this because there was a picture of his child, maybe he is supposed to do something here too, and maybe he's still on a mission. And sticks to the script. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, and last, let's go back over to the recovery center where the fight continues between Elliot and Mr. Robot in the hallway. The switches are becoming shorter, first five minutes, then a matter of seconds. Elliot's trying to make his way downstairs with Robot just slamming him into walls and pipes. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what it was like to film this if Rami actually did all of these scenes himself. Stunt double. But double. <laughs> bless that stunt double, my goodness. And in between, though, the acting that Rami was doing, I mean, we praise him a lot, but this cannot be easy to act that out. He's the master of close-ups. And he does make it to the battery room. This is where that really great conversation continues, typing back and forth between him and Mr. Robot. Robot says, give up, kiddo. Get out of here before you kill us both. And Elliot finally comes to the right thing to say to him. What are you even fighting for? There are no paper records in this building. It's empty. You're being played. It's so apropos because they're both being played. and We just don't know it yet. Even Mr. Robot didn't know that White Rose and the Dark Army couldn't give a fig about their revolution. This was always a means to an end. And he thought he was on the inside of everything while they were shutting Elliot out, but he was being shut out too. He thought, and we thought, that he was the center of it. He was the most important piece. Mm -hmm. But our first glimpse at that is when he says something about, I don't remember specifically, but something about... White Rose is going to have questions about this. I forget what it was, but basically the first signs of him saying that he has to answer to somebody else. Well, we had kind of picked up on this earlier on in the season, though, when we got that scene of Irving coming in right after the hack and taking control of everything, ordering Elliot and Mr. Robot. I don't think he knew it at the time that there were two of them there and Tyrell, what they were going to do. This is how the plan's going to go. You take the car keys, you go lie low. We said at that point, wow, White Rose really was behind all of this. From the moment they executed that hack, she was using it as her own tool. She was manipulating F Society and everything they did from that point. So we kind of should have known. Esmail gave this to us. And especially if you consider that Irving and a lot of others might not have the full background on how split Mr. Robot and Elliot are, if they're not telling Elliot a lot of this stuff, they're not telling Mr. Robot either. And really, that's what Angela was sent in to do, not just to keep the two of them in check, but to monitor how much information they were even getting in the first place, which just makes me hate Angela hmm. even more. Yeah, but keep in mind, she didn't have all the information either. Well, she had an inkling because she did keep asking Irving. She had an inkling about one building. The recovery center is going to be evacuated, right? Like she knew they were up to something darker than what they were telling her. Yeah, I don't think she knew it was going to be 71 buildings. No. But she was suspect about it. So it seems like a victory for a brief moment. <laughs> Elliot blacks out and comes to to find Mr. Robot has helped. He opened the door. Elliot's able to trip the fire suppression system to stop the UPS devices from igniting. He says, we did it. Hmm. We both did it. I love how Sam does this because Mr. Robot takes over. He breaks through that control panel, rewire, rewires it, and then lets Elliot wake back up and he sees all the work that he's done. It's hard for me to explain, but... There's some kind of feeling you get when Elliot is looking at that and says, we did it. 
it's camaraderie that we haven't had between the both of them. And it's power that I feel like they're opening up now. If they can continue to work together, this is more power that Elliot has than we've seen yet. It's power because of what we've been talking about all season for him psychologically, right? It's so easy when you're watching this play out on screen and you see Christian Slater and Rami Malek. These are two people. They're fighting each other. They're against each other. But they're not. This is Elliot and his own struggle with something so enormous inside of his mind that's just been cracked open and split apart. And you know that Elliot at his full capacity could probably do great things. Yet in the state he's been living in this whole time, he spends most of his time fighting himself. And that's the real tragedy of the end of this episode. Because of that, in part, is maybe why this mission has gone so badly instead of so well. Now, please don't get me wrong. The biggest people to blame here are White Rose and the Dark Army. Elliot's really been a pawn in all of this. But how much did he allow himself to be manipulated because he was really focused on how do we fight each other instead of what are they doing? What's going on with the hack and the thing that was supposed to be our plan all along? Their revolution was taken away from them while they were worried about each other. And he really comes to some of these critical points in this amazing quote that he has after that. Outside, he says about Robot, does he now understand Tyrell and the Dark Army have corrupted his revolution? Does he have any fight left? If so, who is he going to fight, them or me? There were no paper records in the building and the Dark Army knew that. So what was White Rose's real plan? Does she know something I don't? Does everybody know something I don't? Yeah. As he looks around. So once they finally come together, then he has that moment to focus on the bigger picture. And first it's about Robot. Oh, what's going to happen now? You know, can we move forward? What could we do next if we're not busy going at each other? But then it gets a little bigger. His perspective moves outwards. Well, geez, the Dark Army knew this all along. So what was White Rose really playing at? And then he finally gets it. And it clicks at the same time he sees these people gathered around the TV where reports are coming in from across the country. I fought so hard to protect the New York facility that I couldn't see the bigger picture. It wasn't a single point of failure. I was. In a series of seemingly orchestrated strikes across the country, a reported 71 buildings owned by E-Corp exploded or caught fire. There has been no official confirmation or even speculation as to what caused the explosions and fires to occur. Officials with knowledge of the attacks have stated that the death toll is expected to be well into the thousands. Meanwhile, first responders continue to fight fires and sort through the rubble with the hope of finding survivors. President Obama is scheduled to hold an emergency press conference later this afternoon. Guys, if you see this angle, look at the angle that they have Elliot at when he's seeing the TV and realizing what's going on. Sam Asmel uses that angle during key pivotal times with Elliot. Yeah, well, and I think it widens out. So often we're so tightly focused in on Elliot because Elliot is so much inside of his own head, like we've just been talking about. And so as the audience or whoever we are... (laughs) that's all we're allowed to see. And often we don't get this bigger picture of what's going on outside of him. But in these moments where we come outside and we see the streets, 
we see the state of the world, and then we get to see Elliot's place within that, it really kind of puts things back into focus for us. And the focus is terrible. So again, this led me to these questions. It doesn't seem like this was White Rose's plan from the beginning because the paper records were supposed to go to one location. And if Elliot hadn't messed with that, they wouldn't have been at 71 different locations. Or so we assume. I mean, we did always say that it was weird. Why would they bring all of their paper backup records into this one spot? Wouldn't that be kind of silly? And we should have known at that point when we started questioning the logic. Um, But she couldn't have known, or at least we don't think she could have known that he was going to do that. Although, maybe that's why she allowed Angela to let him get the job at E-Corp. If they anticipated he would spread it. Because it seemed White Rose had that revelation. I'm sorry, Minister Zhang. Come to that in a minute. When her lieutenant, as we're calling him because we still don't have a name for him, said, I thought stage two was only going to happen if such and such. And he says, no, I've decided Mm -hmm. I want to teach Price a lesson. And this was the lesson, decimate E-Corp. Yeah. And when we get that next scene at the Mar-a-Lago bar and you see Price get that phone call and him booking it out of that party and the look on Minister Zhang's face, disdain, hate, well, that's what I was saying before. He has always had this contempt for Price. Yeah. He made it seem to him like they were going to work together. Is E-Corp dead now? I mean, how do you come back from that? Did well, he just destroy Price? Well, right so there? Elliot had seemingly convinced some of his higher-ups that they needed to start digitizing these things. Right. I don't know how far along they got in that process, but yeah. surely it wasn't everything. It's got to be a pretty huge blow I'm glad you bring this up because a lot of podcasts and shows and articles have been talking about the nature of E-Corp. They talked about it on the Digital After Show this past episode. And Esmail has admitted that while he tries to make everything in the show as close as possible to reality, it's like a parallel reality, E-Corp is the one concession to that. It's a much bigger monopoly than anything we have in current existence. It's like a major bank, a debt clearinghouse, a mega company all rolled into one. So their power, their influence is extreme. And even though their data was encrypted in the 5.9 hack, which we believed was irreversible, they still had this infrastructure of paper records that they were distributing to the storage centers. So we were kind of saying, did Elliot make this worse by spreading the records out to other locations? Would it only have been one building? But I think Minister Zhang was always going after the heavy hit. If that wouldn't have happened, he would have found another way. He was going to give it to Price one way or the other and take E-Corp down. So maybe Elliot would have saved lives, and that's certainly what he's worried about. But who knows? When it comes to them as a company and how decimated they are, We still have to remember there was a lot of talk about what if we could undo the 5-9 hack. And the last time we saw that was the last time we saw Trenton Mobley. And Trent, I believe, was saying there might be a way that we could undo all of this. I might have the key. Well, and we know that Frederick and Tanya are the code names for Trenton Mobley. Yep. So we're definitely going to see their reappearance next episode. And I think that could only mean talking about potentially undoing this hack. And we had said the next time they come back onto the show, it's going to really move the plot forward for that reason. 
Yeah, and we know Leon's going to be there, too. I'm really excited for that. You're so excited for Leon, but he's so much less critical than no, the storyline. No, fuck that. Line. I love Leon. I think it's one of Sam Esmail's favorite characters, too. So that sums up everything that happened in 3.5. Let's move on to our robot rating. What do you give Kill Process? 9.1 bots. I really enjoyed this episode. Not as much as last episode, but I think it's the perfect episode to follow something like last. They still kept the intensity. They did something completely opposite of what what was visually felt like one take. The FBI seems closer than ever. White Rose's stage two has happened. We had that beautiful twist at the end. We didn't even see. No one saw it coming. Other buildings were going to go on fire. And how did we not? That's what (laughs) makes the twist so beautiful. How did we not see that? The kicking your own ass played well for me. And (laughs) This resolution of Robot and Elliot might be working together now, and I'm going to eat my own words if they're not going to, but if they are, this is really intriguing, and I'm extremely excited for that. Yeah, I agree. While you know that I don't like this style and all of the quick cuts, it was kind of frustrating me at certain points. The story they were telling... Fuck you. The plot progression, all of it I really enjoyed, so not as much as last episode, which... I gave a 9.8. That's been one of my highest ratings so far. I am going to give this a 9.4. And that takes us into our MVH, Most Valuable Hacker. Like every week, we ask our Clatchers on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. We give them a poll of what their most valuable hacker is. And if you're not on Twitter or not following us yet, you've got to get on this boat because it's really fun. So we gave four options this episode. Elliot slash Mr. Robot. Minister Zhang. Dom and Angela. So starting with Angela, we got 4%. Dom, 21%. Minister Zhang, 36%. And the winner, Elliot, Mr. Robot, 39%. Wow, that was a close call between the top two. And Dom really in the running for the first time. I'm glad that people were into her journey. Absolutely. And we got some messages off of this poll from... At Philly Nuts, how amazing is this season? Sam Asmal has really outdone himself this year. Edge of my seat every episode. Rebel Eclectic, White Rose has been manipulating them all since day one. Everyone is replaceable, disposable, and pawns in her game of chess. Get Angela's emotions invested, and she's a lifer. Hashtag Mr. Robot. Kirk, look at the shiny object, Elliot. Uh-oh. You must have missed what was happening to these other 71 objects. Mm -hmm. Can there be any question? Elliot, Mr. Robot were duped by White Rose. And finally, at Jesse Plester, I voted for Elliot, but after thinking about it, I realized it should have probably been Tyrell. I have a feeling that this is what he meant when he asked for the full force of the Dark Army. Overall, Mm. amazing episode. And we didn't even have Tyrell on there. I know. I can't wait to see where the rest of the season takes us. Oh, listen, I agree with all of you. And (laughs) right up until the last moment, I wanted so badly to give it to Elliot and Mr. Robot. We even teamed them up on the poll this time because they wound up finally working together. But they lost. They lost in a huge way and due in big part to what was going on between the two of them, to their struggle. They didn't even have the awareness of it. And so, I mean, I hate Minister Zhang in this episode. I hate what he did. Fuck. He is a terrorist But he was the most valuable hacker. 
Oh my God, Chris! Again, I put Minister Zhang. You've got as well. to be kidding this me! This is ridiculous. I thought for sure you'd give it to Elliot and Robot. No, for the same reasons. One, because he won in this, mm. but also we haven't gotten much of Minister Zhang or White Rose or BD Wong in that fact. <laughs> Let's but you just know what? Call him BD Wong, please. Small parts that he's had this season still carry so much weight. I love when he's on the screen. Yes. What's so funny is before and after this show was Law and Order. Yeah. And guess who's in there? <laughs> a young deep, a young BD Wong. Yep. Well, and while we're talking about that, I want to go right into Clatcher's comments because it's something that has been intriguing and even frustrating me. The fact that we keep using Minister Zhang and White Rose interchangeably, but in fact, we have not seen the appearance of White Rose as nope. we know her all season. The only side of BD Wong we've seen is Minister Zhang, and that's why I've been trying to make an point. I slip sometimes, too. And I notice when I'm referring to BD Wong as part of the Dark Army, I call her White Rose, because that's how we knew her role to be. But she's still executing a lot of dark army operations and plans in this season, all while seemingly being Minister Zhang. So that brings up some really interesting theories. James wrote in to say, As far as I can remember, we've only seen White Rose interact as White Rose with Elliot and Angela on screen. All other times, with Price, Dom, and any public engagement, it's always Minister Zhang. Up until now, I've just assumed the female personality is something he transitions to in private or as a form of protection so his male personality doesn't get associated with the Dark Army. That's a good call, by the way. But with all this parallel universe, time travel, stuff flying around, could it possibly be that Minister Zhang and White Rose are actually different people? With Elliot and Mr. Robot, we've been shown the transition between the two personalities happened on screen a number of times. And we've had other characters independently verify his multiple personalities. But with White Rose, we've never seen this. All we have to go on are the few interactions she has with a few unreliable people. This might also explain why when Zhang said to go ahead with stage two, regardless of the UN vote, it seemed so out of character for him to be irrational. Maybe it's White Rose that is the rational, calculated one, and Zhang just wants to get stuff done. Otherwise, what is the point of White Rose? If Zhang can do everything she can and seems pretty much untouchable, why do we need her? On a side note, I was doing some research on the name White Rose, and it turns out it was the name of an anti-Nazi resistance group in Germany during the 1920s and 30s. It was headed up by Hans and Sophie Scroll, who were siblings. Parallel to White Rose and Zhang? Love it. That wow. is amazing detective Our work. Our are amazing. I really love that, and I have been asking myself all those exact same questions and why we haven't seen White Rose as White Rose all season. So I have definitely thought about the multiple personality parallel to Elliot and Mr. Robot or about the time travel thing or so many other things that that could lead into, and I don't think it's a mistake that we haven't seen her, whatever the reason is behind that. Okay, another theory. A couple people wrote into us about this, including Brandon and Oren. Oren pointed out there's a lot of date discrepancies on the show where the date does not actually correspond with the actual calendar day of the week. He says some people theorize this is because the show takes place in an alternate universe. In trying to think of another solution, I rewatched the episode. We know the beginning takes place on a Monday. However, 9-29-2015 was a Tuesday. So he wonders what if the first half 
of the episode takes place on Monday, 9-28, when NASA published the discovery of water on Mars. And the second part, or some other parts, take place on Tuesday, 9-29, the day of the UN vote for the Congo annexation. So it actually rolls over into a second day. That, I guess, is a realistic explanation, but the Reddit users have certainly been running wild with things. And Runoff Channel from Reddit gave a really great comment where they say, as far as I've seen, there is only one date and day of the week that is correct in the entire show, which is season one, episode one. We see it on Elliot's phone just before he heads out. That says 9.30 on Friday, October 23rd, which was correct for 2015. However, after a few hours stalking the cheating Hansen, which is what he was doing back then, we see it saying Friday the 24th at 2.12 a.m. The date changed, but we lost a day of the week. At the meeting later, Angela is corrected when she says the hack happened at 2.07 a.m. Friday night. You mean Saturday? Yes, technically Saturday morning. From that point on, it seems like the show has consistently shifted the day of the week by one. So his proposal is that was the key hack when Elliot's timeline or universe diverged from ours or he moved into another. From that point on, we've shifted into a parallel reality. They also point to the fact that Esmail keeps saying we're all missing something, one thing that we should be looking for and that somebody on Reddit got it right. He admits that. So if that is in fact the thing, it's the one missing day, and we still don't know what happened during that time. Tricky, tricky. And finally, our last comment was also from Oren, and it was about the appearance of prime numbers. And this we got over the last two episodes. So Elliot works on floor 43, Angela's office is on floor 41, floor 29 is where the HSM machine is, he goes on and on down to the address for the red wheelbarrow. Also, the fact that 71 E-Corp buildings were attacked. And I said, it is weird that we are getting so many numbers thrown at us the past two episodes. What could possibly be the significance of that? I didn't put it together that they were all prime numbers. He says, in fact, no floor numbers were non-prime numbers in the last two episodes. He also writes, prime numbers are used as a metaphor for loneliness and isolation in the novel The Solitude of Prime Numbers, in which they are portrayed as outsiders among integers. So that could relate to Elliot in his condition, although I have to believe it's bigger than that. And so he says prime numbers also have a connection to quantum physics. And that could get us into our particle accelerator and parallel universes or even time travel. So thank you, Oren. That's amazing. And all of those notes and instances you picked out, we love that. Please keep all of it coming. And thank you to all of our Clatchers who are constantly following us and tweeting us and facebooking us instagramming us it means so much it makes all the hard work that we do worth it and especially for this show when you write in with your facts and your theories it is so hard to pick up on everything so you giving us some of that research is priceless we really appreciate it i think that does it for 3.5 kill process the ckc podcast has so many episodes that we're still folding out we got Three more Patreon episodes coming out. We have an interview. And hopefully, to remind you guys, to tweet at Carly Chaikin. Let her know that you want her on our podcast. And that'll be another interview podcast coming your way. And we will see you next time for episode 3.6, Frederick and Tanya. 
We want to thank songfinch.com so much for supporting our podcast and being our sponsors for this episode. Remember, go to songfinch.com for a personalized song created just for you. Songfinch will produce you a one-of-a-kind radio-quality song that gives voice to the story you want to tell. In just seven days, you can have a song created for your loved one. Birthday, wedding, anniversary, Father's Day, you name it, they can do it. You'll get your own homepage, a website where you can listen to the song, read the lyrics, and learn about the songwriter who created it. It's really an amazing opportunity, and Songfinch was kind enough to create a song for us, for the Coffee Quatch crew, which is amazing, and we will definitely be using it in the future for many years to come. Four years ago, you know, we started it up. Took a TV shows and movies, other things that we love. With old friends and new friends, just tying up the loose ends. Nerding out without a doubt, that's where we begin. And anyone who listens in, you know, it's plain to see. Like hydrogen and oxygen between Chris and me. Just like water, she lets it flow. Her voice is smooth like Jazz, but you probably already know, you know. This one goes out to the coffee clutch crew. And if you ain't a clutch, you better that's on you. That's your work, you're waiting for, cause it's totally free. And you decided to win them this round. Venture over to Songfinch, that's S O N G F I N C H.com to check out the storylines of other people who have taken advantage of this opportunity. You can listen to their music and hear their story. It'll give you some good ideas for how to create your first song of your very own. And if you do that now, you can use the promotional code CLATCHERS to get $20 off your first song. That's K-L-A-T-C-H-E-R-S for $20 off. Songfinch.com. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me! Follow the instructions inside, and then burn them. You're not going to kill me? Tyrell? I'm sorry. <laughs>